This is Klaatu, you're listening to the GNU World Order. I admit I'm a day late in posting this episode. Yesterday was a Wellington City holiday. Yeah, New Zealand, they have city-specific holidays, so we had off, and for instance, Auckland, the city at the very tip of the North Island, the north tip of the North Island, did not have the day off. Yeah, I spent the day doing outdoorsy things, went to a sort of a, I guess, the equivalent of a national park and wandered around for a couple of hours. It was really quite beautiful. Before we start talking about the, the, the Slackware packages that we're going to be talking about today, which are actually really cool ones in, in some cases, so I'm, I'm eager to start that. But before we do start that, I wanted to thank the many, many people who got back to me with feedback one way or another about Podwright. Uh, there, were, there were problems. The Opus feed was was clobbering the AUG feed, or no, the, the Speaks feed was clobbering the Opus feed or something like that, or the Opus one was clobbering the Speaks, that I had a, some files symlinked on the server long, not long ago, but back when I decided to drop the Speaks feed, I, felt, I figured, well, I'll just symlink what used to be the Speaks feed to Opus feed, and that way people who like the smaller download file will get the, the new and improved format. And so then when I was uploading my files, it was it was sort of going through this funnel of the symlink and overwriting the actual feed, so that didn't work very well. Someone told me, uh, Chris, I think, was the one alerting me about that. Uh, other people were telling me about AUG versus Opus. Uh, other people were talking about the standard formats, or not standard, but de facto standard for formatting names. So uh, I think it was Martin was telling me that uh, Cody, the formerly the XBMC uh, project, use file names structured as S for season, 00, or you know number n- number number, and then E for episode number number. And I, I guess from there it's just like .og or .opus or whatever. I'll have to do a little bit more research in that. But but I figure since if if that's the convention being used by something a major project like Cody, then I may as well adapt to it. Now I don't want to just adapt sort of midstream and just start calling my episode, you know, renaming the file names in the middle of a season, but then again this season presumably is going to last the whole year, so I don't know, it might be worth worth just kind of switching to, um, we'll, we'll see what happens, we'll see, and, and I, I have to make that change in the Podrite script as well, so it, it won't happen overnight. But, and I don't think, I think people, my assumption is that people's workflow for their pod catching is that they enter an, an XML feed into their their RSS reader, whatever it may be, and they let the thing do what it does. You know, they, it downloads the episode, they listen to it, they delete it. I'm, I'm assuming that's the workflow for a lot of people. That's certainly my, my tendency. I don't tend to look at the actual files that I download, or if I do, it doesn't really matter. I just, I grab a collection of files that I've, you know, from the folder in which they download, and I put it onto some kind of media player, and I listen to the files, and then I delete them. And that's just kind of, I, I, I figure that's probably how people use this stuff. I don't think it should matter if suddenly the episode, or the file names themselves start changing from 
GNU World Order underscore zero x one dot og to GNU World Order underscore s zero one or zero zero e zero one dot og or whatever the case may be. So it's an interesting idea because it seems to be a de facto standard, and I would love to conform to an established open source project already doing really cool things with media. Cody, or XBMC, whatever, I guess it's it's Cody, um, is is the reason that I started naming the like my movie collection in the the format that I I use for the movie co collection. So and, and TV shows in the you know, you know there's like this established convention really is all it is. It's not a it's not a standard really, but but I guess a lot of things are using it, so it, it becomes very useful to just go along with, with everybody else. So thank you to everyone who provided feedback on, on the process of, of using PodWrite, whether it was the output or the, the colliding feeds or or just feedback on, on the quality of the audio files or whatever. It is all very appreciated and very helpful. One more thing before jumping into the software side of things. BIOS. You never thought you'd he never thought you'd hear me talk about BIOS, probably. I mean, I think I have actually in, in, interviewed one or two people about Haiku a long time ago, just because they were they were there at the festival that I was at. But generally speaking, I was never all that interested in BIOS. Honestly, it wasn't really something that that excited me, mainly because when I went to Haiku's site, which more or less was my only my only real exposure to BIOS, I, I would go to the Haiku project, and I've, I've tried the, the Haiku ISO, you know, the alpha that's been out for like half of a decade now. Uh, I would try it out in a VM or something, but it would make it very, very clear that this was not a Linux distro, this was not a reskinning of a Linux distro, this was a completely new operating system. That's fine, I don't, you know, that's not a bad thing for me. Uh, but they would they would say things like, you know, this isn't this isn't a Unix system or or something like that. I remember there being a, some phrase that just kind of almost deflated my interest levels. It was just kind of like, well, I could play around with this operating system, but I'm not learning anything new about Unix by doing that, and so I don't think I'm going to waste my time because I'm pretty Unix focused. If you haven't noticed, I tend to to really kind of lean toward Unix because that's a, that's a, I in my opinion not only do I have an open source version of Unix but I have the history of Unix that has proven to be very reliable and very I guess evergreen you know it's going to be around for a while and I like my investments to be I'm I'm rather conservative that way I guess I, I really like to invest th some time and effort into something that I I feel is is something that I will be able to get a lot of mileage out of so BIOS doesn't really hold my interest because it's kind of this flash in the pan that was a big deal at the time and disappeared into the ether pretty much aside from Haiku which as as neat as that project is, it doesn't have a whole lot of traction, and it is what it is. It's it's a it's the revival of a niche, and so it in itself is kind of a niche. 
With that all said, there was a thread on the mailing list at work that popped up, and it was referring to a thread, I think, that may have popped up on Hacker News, maybe? And the the story was that there was a cache of old BIOS material online, and that it provided quite the interesting historical perspective on really the computer the computer industry at large and and I thought that that was kind of interesting but but the cool thing about working at some of the tech companies that I've been fortunate enough to get jobs with is that a lot of times you you end up hearing from people who are old timers in the computer industry and so they have an interesting perspective on things because they were there so I've been lucky enough to hear from people who who have worked at BIOS, for instance, or who were working at Red Hat when it was rumored that Red Hat was going to buy BIOS, or f from people who have worked in the computer graphics industry around the time that BIOS was becoming popular and sort of starting to threaten the industry standard like SGI. So that's that's been pretty interesting. But this this website, birdhouse.org slash BIOS slash Byte, that's B-Y-T-E as in the magazine, if you we're reading magazines back in 1999 and 2001. If you go to this website, you'll see about 30 articles written by a man named Scott Hacker, whose website this is, and it's it's all about BIOS. It was an art. It was a column called BView, and it was just about BIOS and and I guess about the future of BIOS, which of course proved to be shorter than people expected, unfortunately, but. It's really an interesting look, not just because, oh, look at all this old computer stuff. I mean, that's interesting and, and nostalgic, whether or not you were really aware of computers or, or, or alive at that point or not. But what's really interesting are the parallels that you can draw between BIOS's plight and Linux's plight, which is weird in itself because the articles also discuss, for instance, a rumor that Red Hat was going to purchase BIOS as its desktop offering. Even more interesting, though, I, I think, is, is looking at the plight of, of BIOS compared to the plight of Linux, which both shared this common, the, the, well, the, this, a common set of enemies, and the, the two enemies were windows and apple right those were the two dominant forces in the market at that time amazingly still are and a lot of people scratch their head and think well why couldn't why can't linux make a dent in that market i mean like a really significant dent i mean i think we are seeing a we're, we're seeing echoes of a significant dent in in the just by the fact that there's so much support out there nowadays for linux i mean and there's chromebooks and things like that but it's still, I mean, it's still the the big two are the are the big two, and everyone's kind of aware of it. I, I think that that if 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 it was any other way, then we wouldn't even have to ask the question. There wouldn't be a question of whether they were really a big two, or whether there's actually a third player. We would all know that there's a third player. It wouldn't be something that people had to to think about or debate. So, the fact that BIOS had all of this money, and and had had so much attention from the tech world. I mean, people were were really excited about BIOS, and they were on the cusp of of changing computing. I mean, they had a lot of technologies that nobody else had. It was a really big deal. And yet, there's discussion on on this website about how 
people or about how BIOS had to had to reverse engineer and and adapt stuff to make peripherals work, you know, things like printers and PDAs, which were really popular at the time before cell phones came around. And, and it was it was exactly it was like you were reading a, a book about Linux, about how they've made such and such a printer work and they've made such and such a scanner work in spite of the manufacturers. And this was BIOS. It was it was a it was selling stuff. It was running on lots of different computers. It was expected to be the next big thing. And it ultimately failed. So it's no wonder to me that 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 the market truly is two major players with whoever coming comes in later as a, a, a little bit of a, a you know a second hand a second rate citizen really and that just hasn't changed since 1999 people the, the vendors for peripherals and for computers themselves even just they they will not accept that there are more than just two two players in this game I mean, at at this point, 20 years later, I I feel I feel strongly that it should it should be a lot more open. I mean, I'm not saying that everything has to be GPL licensed, but I'm saying that that a computer manufacturer should be putting out computers that any old OS developer should be able to to market their OS on. I mean, it should just be like a, an app store, right? I mean. You shouldn't have only two to choose from, and even then, you don't even have the two, right? When you, I mean, you, you have the two, but you can't get both of them at the same store. You can't go to a computer store like like Dell or 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 uh, Lenovo or something like that, where you're buying a physical. I'm talking about a physical computer. You can't go to the store, the website, and select what OS you want on it. You can't say, well, I'll take Windows on this one. Okay, I'll take Mac on this one can't do it right and if you want one you have to go buy their hardware if you want the other you can you can you can get that and that's it you should be able to click the drop, drop down menu first of all it shouldn't say we prefer such and such or we recommend such and such you should be able to click that drop down and select what you want windows linux mac haiku you know just whatever people want to to sell you on that computer it should not be a big deal but it's a huge it's a huge divider within the industry and everyone seems to be okay with it and it just continues to boggle my mind that that's how this is going especially when it's being when it's when it's happening this way primarily driven by a country with an economy that insists that the free market is the answer to all the world's problems but i digress Point being, this is a really interesting website. You should go there and check this stuff out. So the the, the address again is birdhouse.org slash bios slash byte, B-Y-T-E. And uh, there's about 30 articles there that are really fun to read from the B-View column. There's also a ZDNet Beehive archive, which I didn't really look at. And then there's also the biosbible.com mirror which was the the full website like if you bought the the bios bible the, the book by peach pit uh, peach pit then you could log into this website now they've set it up so that you can just leave the username and password blank and and you can click through and they've got they've got online chapters they've got interviewers with with developers 
and they talk about the hardware stuff that's really interesting they talk about there's the structure of their of their developer stuff they they have they have these contact these concepts of kits k-i-t-s so if you were doing file system work you would use the you would download or, or install i guess the uh, hardware kit or the storage kit rather and if you were doing stuff with multimedia then you'd download or, or you'd install the the media kit or whatever it was called so yeah they they organized their their little sdks into into really obvious categories and and i kind of like that concept although i know that in real life i think it would probably annoy me because inevitably i would want something that wasn't in that that kit so i'm i'm sure that it didn't quite work out as neatly and and cleanly as 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 the bios bible says especially nowadays with the internet i mean back then there was obviously the internet but but i feel like now it's even it's just so trivial to just grab whatever you want whereas maybe back then it it was more disk centric possibly like you wouldn't necessarily just download random libraries willy-nilly you would you would default to the one that shipped with your developer disk maybe i'm just guessing here but the other interesting part about this was the scripting chapter on the in the bios bible i had no idea that the gnu bash shell shipped with bios or or was available for bios i should say well actually either shipped or 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 was available. I, I got the impression from reading it that it shipped with BIOS, but I, I could be wrong. And and that's kind of the thing that ultimately turned me around about my interest level on on BIOS was the fact that it as as it happens, as it turns out, BIOS is POSIX compliant, which I did not know, and and I don't feel Haiku really makes a big deal out of. And possibly I just didn't look hard enough on on Haiku's website because I, I really haven't looked that much into this and, and i might i might eventually i did download the latest uh the nightly build of haiku and i was going to install it on my laptop for on that spare hard drive on my laptop didn't get around to it yet i'm 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 going out of country very soon so i can't really afford to to break my laptop right now but yeah i might i might take a look at it just just out of curiosity now that i know that bash runs on the thing that it's POSIX compliant and and there's even a chapter or or within the scripting chapter they even talk about python and i think they talk about perl so it's oh yeah perl python and tcl so there's a lot of interesting stuff in there i mean it's it's old out of date i guess but it's really interesting to read to get that historical perspective and to to kind of see i don't know to to get a feeling for what linux was up against at the time and what where, where linux has succeeded where maybe bios has not and what bios uh pushed into 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 common consciousness that maybe wasn't there before so yeah check it out that's that's all really just go look at old stuff on the internet and now i think you'll you'll agree it's time for a coffee break and then we'll get into the software that comes on the linux os <laughs>
hopefully you had a great cup of coffee. I know I did. And let's start uh, looking at this Slackware packages stuff. So, so in case you're coming in late to the season, uh, what I've been doing up until the previous episode, where I stopped to talk about uh, Podwrite, I have I've been looking at the software that comes by default with a standard Linux install, and by standard I mean Slackware. Now, this is obviously unique in a way to Slackware because there's a bunch of software on a big 4.8 gigabyte or whatever it is, 4.7, what, what's a DVD nowadays, whatever, almost a 5 gigabyte disk of Slackware, and, and then there's a completely different set of software that comes with, you know, the 1.2 gig installer or 1 gig installer, whatever it is, of, say, Fedora or, or Ubuntu or whatever the cool Linux is these days. So it is different, but I think they both, they all share one common thing, which is that nobody really pays attention to what got installed. We, we install it, it boots up, we're happy, and then we install all of our apps. I mean, that's pretty much how it goes. And, and sure, there's sometimes you install it and then you think, okay, that's all I have time for today. Hopefully everything I need is here. And so maybe you have a, 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 a disk that you do keep around that you know has all the stuff that you need. And for me, that is Slackware. Like, honestly, if, 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 if you give me a computer and, and you say, okay, be productive, then if I install Slackware, I can, I can get a good 80% uh, of the way there just on the stock install. I mean, I may or may not be completely happy for, for a whole day of, of not being able to install other stuff, but, but, if if I'm just if I just need it for normal computing stuff, which for me is Emacs and maybe a web browser like Firefox, then I'm 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 good to go on on stock install of Slackware and quite a bit more. I mean you know I mean it's got media players so I can listen to my music. I I it's got it's got a couple of tools on there for audio. Doesn't have Audacity so that's a problem. Doesn't have QTractor or Jack. So, you know, it depends on what you're asking me to do. But generally speaking, a proper, a good, flexible OS, Slackware is all I need. And yet, even even in, in that case, I, I still don't know half of what's in my bin directory, if you asked me. And I think that's probably true for a lot of us. So this this episode, this series of, of the, the start of the season anyway, is going to seek to change that. And so one of the things that I, I want to discuss, well, well, we left off on Dialogue. And Dialogue is, is a toolkit that, from what I can tell, was started for Slackware itself. And, and I could be misreading it. But it, it says that the Slackware package management script package tool uses Dialogue and that it was originally contributed to Slackware by Savio Lam and has been contributed to by many. So... From what I'm reading, it started with Slackware. But I, I recently saw a dialog pop up in a Python package that I installed, and, and I thought that was kind of cool, because there it was. Dialog. Something that that I, I probably use here and there and never really realize. So next after Dialog was DOSFS Tools. DOSFS Tools, as you can imagine, are a, is a tool chain for, or utilities rather, for creating fat file systems and for checking and repairing uh, those those file systems, so that's um, that's interesting. 
it's kind of important, I guess, because most of us probably eventually have to use the fat file system. As much as I hate it, it's just it is it is basically a part of computer reality now. It's it's in the fabric of of computers. There are just so many devices out there that, for whatever reason, use fat. They could use something else, but they use fat. So we all just have to accept that fact. And after that is the E2FS progs, and that is ext2 and ext3 file system utilities. So those are the utilities to create and maintain ext2 and ext3 file systems. It's important. You'll probably use it at some time, at some point. And for my attach-up utility, you probably vaguely recall my attach-up utility from previous season, which is the little system that I use to plug in hard drives to my computer and have them automatically back up to my computer. Uh, in in that project, I became aware of the 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 ability, I guess, I mean, I knew that it existed, but I kind of, I became more aware of it through this, of, of labeling your, your hard drive. So the E2 label sub, I guess, utility, I guess, is what it would be. If you type in man E2 label, you can read all about it. But a label on a hard drive is, is the thing that you see, you know, when you, when you plug your hard drive in, when you attach it to your system, what it come, what name it tells you, what human readable name it tells you the thing is. So, Sure, it may be located at slash dev slash sdc, but what does the computer call it by when it when it's presenting it to you in your your device manager, really? Uh, and it may even be called something else by your uh, disk partitioning tool. You know, that might see that it's not only at dev slash sdc, but it's 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 a c not a c gate. Well, yeah, it could be a Seagate hard drive, or it could be a, a Toshiba hard drive. Western digital brand hard drive, but on top of all of those other things, there's something just—it's it's a label. It's like an attribute on the on the file system, and you 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 might be able to see that if you bothered creating a label. And not everyone does. It depends on how you make your file system. For the longest time, I never really bothered, and and eventually I got around to doing it just because when you have like several hard drives attached to your computer, it does become easier to have that human readable name. And that can be set, for instance, with the E2FS progs, there's the E2Label utility, where you can just set labels. Now, if you're not using EXT2, 3, or 4, then you can use another labeling program. There's MLabel, and that I think that works for the MS-DOS, and that might even actually be from the MS-DOS package. MLabel. Yeah, that, no, that comes for, from mTools is what it's called, so that's not from the DOSFS uh, utilities, but it, it's it's there. And then other, other file systems, like the one that I actually use is called JFSUtils, and, and that's not, I don't think that's installed by default, maybe it is, and and that through, through that, the, the same way that I would make my file system in the first place is how I would change my label, so that's what I tend to, to, to use. So that's kind of interesting because it's, once again, just some tools that we kind of take for granted and we don't really think of where they come from. After E2FS progs, we've got ED. Now, we all know ED, at least in theory. I mean, we've heard of ED, and very few of us probably actually know ED. 
and it's not really something that I have any desire to learn, to be honest. I, for a little while, for like a moment, I thought, eh, maybe I should learn Ed. And it's just, it's so raw. It is so, so low level that I, I don't really, especially since we have said now, I'm just not sure that Ed is super useful and and something that I need to know. I could be wrong, and if, and if you have a use case for Ed that I'm completely missing, feel free to let me know. But for me, it seems like I've got lots of other options, like Emacs, for instance. Uh, but it, but Ed, I mean, if you do Man Ed, it's basically useless. But if you do Info Ed, at least on my system, it's useless. Info Ed actually has a pretty full tutorial on it. Um, I just have no desire to learn it myself. But it's tiny. It's less than a kilobyte, the whole application. Okay, next up is EFI Boot Manager. EFI Boot Manager is kind of notable, I think. Well, obvious, the obvious thing is that it's the extensible firmware interface boot manager, EFI. EFI is the new BIOS. EFI is great. People should theoretically love EFI. People don't because it's different. And a lot of people have been burned by bad implementations of EFI. I've gotten to play around with, in various EFI shells in my time, and I can attest that some EFIs are really bad and some are good, but then they get locked down so that you have no access to them, and still others are just fine. And they're, and they're all different and they're unique and they're they're really I mean they're very they're very raw. I mean it's a firmware shell. You're you're talking to some very low level things. So in reality it is very cool. It's just whether or not it's any good that that counts. But this isn't a shell. This is just the boot manager and and the the actual software itself. linux.dell.com/efibootmanager. Kind of neat. Places that you just don't expect to see in your software list really. You never know what you're going to find. After that is Eject. Eject is a great little application. I used to use it all the time back when computers came with optical drives. And I actually used optical drives. But uh, Eject was written by a guy named Jeff Tranter, and it does exactly what you'd expect. It ejects a disk. Now, I remember Eject very well. I, I had a, I had like a spare key on my iBook. On my iBook G4, I think, that I was running Fedora on and Yellow Dog for a while. Uh, and I, I figured out, after much trial and error, how to map eject to the, the, the eject button. And it was really exciting. It was very, very cool. And then on, on another computer, I remember learning that eject-t actually in in injected a disk. That's probably not the right term, but I mean, I, I think of it as ingest, is, is what we would say in digital media, you ingest media. But uh, yeah, it would, it, would, it would take the disk or the tray into the computer rather than ejecting it out of. So there's a little eject tip for you, dash T. So if you, if you actually use eject anymore, now you know. Uh, next up is eLilo, e eLilo. That's the EFI version of Lilo elilo.sourceforge.net. It's important. I use it on this computer, actually, on the one that I'm recording on, because it's got EFI, and I I decided not to use, put it into legacy mode because I need access to my hard drives, my big hard drives. 
Okay, next up is Elvis. Elvis is the Slackware version of Vi. You may or may not even have heard of Elvis. It's kind of something that I've heard of for a long time because it was always there on Slackware. And I think I probably used it, well, I, I know I used it because when I first started on Linux, I was using Vim or Elvis um, rather than Emacs. But Elvis is, it's a modern replacement for, for EX or Vi. And it's been a requirement of Slackware for ages. And if you launch it, like I'll, I'll launch it and then I'll never be able to get out of it because on a Dvorak keyboard, trying to deal with Vi is practically impossible. But when you launch it, you don't even know it's it's different. I mean, it's it's exactly what you would expect from from Vi, really. And and that's kind of similar. I mean, a lot of people use Vim every day and don't really realize that they're using Vim. You know, I mean, they just think of they think Vim is Vi pretty much. But strictly speaking, of course, it is not. And and that becomes an important distinction when you try to do uh, fancy things like you know deleting entire words backwards or whatever. I think I think it was yeah a whole word back I, I think didn't work in Vi but it works in Vim something like that I don't know haven't used it in ages all right next next package is etc uh, as you might expect etc is the is the infrastructure or the the, the the skeleton of the etc folder of your unix system and this is kind of this is important to to know about because this is where a bunch of things come from that you know, once again, we take for granted because we just don't ever think about them. So there is a hostname.new, cshlogin.new, group.new, gshadow.new, hosts.new. So all of these really low-level files that kind of define your system get installed with this package. Now, what is not installed notably at this stage is, for instance, fstab, which, which gets defined later once it figures out where all of its hard drives actually actually are located and 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 how it needs to lay out the system in order for it to boot so next up is udev so this is eudev e u dev not udev as in just u d e v it's e u d e v and this is a fork and specifically this is a fork of the system d uh, system really I mean it's it's a fork of system D since system D includes a bunch of stuff like udev this is a fork of that because it, it just extracts udev into an isolated system which I think is fantastic and I probably don't even need to tell you why that's fantastic but it is fantastic udev shouldn't live I think in the same development repo as a lot of other things um, for obvious isn't it's obvious right why that shouldn't be a thing I mean as I've said before system D has yet to betray me it, it has not done anything to me to make me hate it yet at all um, that said I'm not someone trying to build a system and and I'm not someone who needs the the amount of choice that someone who who is building a system requires or, or may may want when when choosing what components will go into that system 
So the fact that UDEV is kind of wrapped up, that that's just UDEV, U-D-E-V, is wrapped up in systemd can be inconvenient for people trying to build a system without all the other stuff. So if you wanna if you wanna take an init system, like what is it, OpenRC or Ninit or whatever, and you wanna tack on a UDEV, uh, some kind of device detection and management system, then you could do that. You can do that now with OpenRC or Ninit and UDEV or E-U-D-E-V. And I did a, I've done a um, little tutorial on Ninit, N-I-N-I-T, a couple of seasons ago. I think season 10, back when I was testing out, out some video stuff. I did, I did some video episodes back in season 10. Um, I don't think I still have the video online. I, I might. I mean, it's on YouTube somewhere. But um, but I do have the, all the audio. So that's kind of an interesting read. If you've never swapped out your init system, you should uh, listen to that. But UDEV is is quite quite the the subsystem. I don't love UDEV. I don't love UDEV, and I don't love EUDEV. I find them clunky, and I find them prone to requiring reboots not 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 requiring reboots like oh i'm i'm doing computer work since all of a sudden udev says hey you have to reboot now but just from my work with attach up especially but also with just game game pads game controllers if you if you're setting udev rules up i i can just almost guarantee that in order for that udev to actually take like really really take you have to reboot your computer. Now, there's supposed, you know, te technically you can do a UDEV uh, control or UDEV ADM space control space or yeah dash dash reload or something like that, and that should reload all the rules and everything should work. I guarantee you, you're going to have to reboot in the end. Okay, so anyway, I'm a, I mean yeah, I'm a fan of UDEV and yet. I don't love UDEV, you know? I mean, it's better than HAL, but I, I gotta say, UDEV is not my favorite my favorite application. But it's important, and it is nice. It's a nice to have, definitely. Okay, let's see. Next is file. File is great. It's a file that identifies files. That's what it does. And that's, that's kind of an interesting interesting thing to talk about really quickly, too, is that in that BIOS Bible thing that I was talking about earlier in the episode, you know those. Um, you know if you do a head on on any any given shell script or or even a Python script, right? You, you have that one line, and it's it's the hash sign and the exclamation point. So we call it the shebang, but some people call it a crunch bang. I guess I'm not really sure if that's just the distro or if, or or what, but but. But shebang is what generally people call it, and then slash bin slash sh, for instance. So it would say, you know, whatever your default shell is, run run this run this script in that shell. Or maybe it's slash usr slash bin slash env space python. So whatever your environment's Python is set to, run that script in 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 that. And for the longest time, I didn't know what that line was called. I just kind of kept calling it the shebang line and and then at work it was kind of like people would start asking like what is that line called anyway and I thought I don't know I guess it's a shebang line right I mean that's what we all call it and so I was trying to I, we were all trying to come up with a name for this 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 line 
and we thought, well, maybe it's a a declaration or or something of that sort. You know, some something something to identify it. You know, we were trying to a classification. Could not think of what to call the, the line. Couldn't find a proper name for it online anywhere anywhere. And and so then just last week when I was happening, I I, I happened to be uh, reading perusing the BIOS Bible site. Right there in the scripting section, it says, hey, there's this line at the top that's called a magic cookie. I thought, oh my gosh, there is a name for that. It's Apparently, back in the 90s at least, or the late 90s, early 2000s, that declaration at the top of your file was called a magic cookie. And there's even a note specifically saying this is unique from a browser cookie. It's not a browser cookie. This is a magic cookie. So there you go. It's a magic cookie. Now maybe some of you knew that, but yeah, we I could not find anyone at work who who knew what that was called, and I couldn't find anywhere online uh, that identified it as such until until the BIOS Bible. So that's kind of cool. So anyway, file it, it detects what kind of file types a file is, and then there's find utils, and that contains GNU find and xargs. Find is Possibly, it, it is one of those applications that is exactly as highly rated as it deserves. It, it really is. Everyone loves Find. Everyone I've ever met loves Find. I mean, like any any Linux user loves Find. And it's because it just does its job so darned well. And, and really, you can do so many interesting things with it that you start to you start to rely on it in in lots of perfectly acceptable ways um i mean so, for so long there have been search functions and file managers and i got to tell you i've never used a one of them i i've never felt for some reason that my file manager should do search i don't know why i felt that way i guess because it was so bad for such a long time you know like even back on on uh, mac when when they came out with spotlight which was their f uh, sort of file manager which they call finder their integrated search thing spotlight it's horrible i mean it is patentedly horrible and but it was it seemed to kind of be a game changer like a lot of people saw that and they were like oh my gosh this is the new this is how we're going to organize our files we're just going to find everything we're going to spotlight everything and 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 i guess windows came out with something that that does that you know and, and everyone got really excited about it and kde had something that just failed completely miserably we don't even remember the name of it anymore it was so bad and then baloo came out and eh, actually that works pretty well uh oh it was nipomuk that was what it was called but anyway baloo is great it works totally works i guess i mean i don't know like i say i don't actually use it find it just works so well that it pay it makes everything else just look silly and then on top of all that it's got this built-in it's like a for loop for free so if you do a find tilde, you know, in your whole home folder, you could do dollar sign home, uh, all capital home, whatever you prefer, uh, and then you do dash type f. So we'll we'll just search files, not directories, and we'll say dash i name. So we'll search case insensitive for a file name, and we'll just do a quote asterisk for for anything dot uh, sh. See how many shell scripts I have. Close quote, and then that's that. And and it searches your your home directory and it gives you all of the shell scripts you've got instantly. I mean, it just starts giving you returns almost instantly. It's brilliant. 
but on top of all that you can do slash, uh, dash rather exec to exec and then you could say well let's grep through that to see how many of those contain um, you know uh, foo and to refer back to the thing that you're searching you do a curly quote curly quote or uh, what are they called curly brackets curly bracket curly bracket and then space forward slash semicolon and it tell it gives you all of the and there's actually quite a few things but it's not foo it's it's more uh, footage is what I have but there's some foo here as well so yeah um, it's 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 really really nice and then of course if if you actually I mean you can the exact line you can do all kinds of things but you can also use uh, exargs to to take the output of of whatever find gives you and then to do something with that so it's a great command it's yeah basically a free for loop I've built almost entire applications <laughs> around find you know it's just it's it's so so good at what it does so that if you're writing a script that's going to manipulate files or, or even grep through a lot of files, find is the way to do it. It's really, really nice. And you know what? In fact, let's 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 stop here for today. As much as I would love to continue going through these packages because it's actually turning into quite quite a pleasant journey. But but let's stop here for for now. And next episode, next week, let's talk about find. Let's do a whole episode on find. And in fact, I'll take it a step farther and say that if you have any cool find hacks or tips or or scripts that use find in really interesting ways or just, I don't know, basic understandings of find that you think when you figured this thing out, that's when find made more sense to you or whatever, uh, let me know. Send me an email or, or a Mastodon message or IRC or whatever. Let me know about it and I will include it in the episode for next week. And I'm... It, it's that's not a whole lot of time, so maybe I don't know. Maybe I'll try to do the find episode in two weeks or something. However, it works out. Uh, send me find tips and hacks, and we'll talk about find in the in some future episode in in great detail. Because, like I say, it is one of those applications that is just so amazing, so great. We all love it. We all know we love it, and we all recognize that we love it. It's one of those applications. It's just it gets exactly as much admiration and respect as it deserves, and it deserves a lot. Send your tips in. Listening to the GNU World Order Og Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Og Cast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.